This episode is brought to you by Udemy, the largest marketplace for online learning. Whether you're looking to learn something new or just sharpen your skills, Udemy has over 65,000 courses starting at just $11.99. Students around the world choose Udemy to discover new passions, expand their skills, and even change careers. I want you to visit Udemy, that's U-D-E dot M-Y slash improve, U-D-E dot M-Y slash improve, or download the Udemy app to learn anytime, anywhere. Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco, or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Master Photography Podcast Network. It's uh, fun to say that. So it's fun that we're in this transition. I'm so excited about the future and, and the Master Photography Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. Hopefully you're listening to this episode through the Photo Taco Podcast feed instead of on the Improved Photography feed. I'm glad to have you listen no matter where you're coming from. But as a reminder, sometime in June 2018-ish, Photo Taco episodes will more rarely be found on the Improved Photography podcast feed or even going forward in the Master Photography podcast feed as we intend to kind of convert that over in June 2018. So if you haven't already subscribed to the Photo Taco feed, unless you're driving, please pause the show right now and go do that. Yes, you on the treadmill. <laughs> you need to pause right now and you need to go to subscribe to the Photo Taco podcast. I'd really, really appreciate it. To add just a little incentive to subscribe to the Photo Taco feed, I'm running a contest. The prize is a 30-minute Skype session with me where I will post process as many photos from the winner of the contest as we can get through in those 30 minutes. So the, the winner will send me either raw files or whatever fo photos they want me to work on, and I'll load them up in on my local computer. I will share my screen via Skype, and we will talk about things as I go through it. So if you've ever had any video training courses uh, using Lightroom or Photoshop, and, and you can, you, you've watched as people have shown you how to do post-processing, that's really, really valuable kinds of training. Um, this is even better because it's going to be with your own photos. So as I'm working my way through them, as I'm changing sliders, as I'm adding adjustment brushes or filters or doing anything in Photoshop, I'm going to be able to say, here's why I'm doing it and explain what I'm doing. And if I'm going fast or I'm doing something that you don't understand, you can say, whoa, wait, wait, tell me what that is. Show me that again or something like that. It makes it really, really effective. So that's the prize. I hope it's something that you would all love to have and I to enter to win it to enter to win the contest you have to subscribe to photo taco on the podcatcher of your choice and then take a screenshot on your phone of your podcatcher showing the subscribed evidence <laughs> the evidence has said you are subscribed to the photo taco feed and then send that screenshot as an email to phototacopodcast at gmail.com. So you can enter the contest starting May 14th, 2018, when this episode airs. And the contest will go through 11 p.m. Mountain Time on July 6th, 2018. So you have May 14th to July 6th to enter. Only one entry uh, per subscription to the podcast, so please don't send me your screenshot more than once, or I'm just going to have to disqualify you. One 
subscription, one entry. You can, however, get two more entries for a total of three if you can get a friend to subscribe to the show and they will mention you in their email uh, that they send showing that they subscribed as well. So you'll get three uh, two more, and they'll get one entered if you if they can do that. The winner will be announced on July 9th, Photo Taco episode. So that's coming up in a couple months. And don't worry if you're driving and you couldn't write any of that down. I'm going to have all the instructions about how to enter the, the contest over at phototacopodcast.com slash contest. So that's what you really have to remember, phototacopodcast.com slash contest. All right, let's get into the real reason that you're listening to this episode today. Um, I'm sure the title, at least I hope the title of the episode brought you into the the episode today and made you want to listen in here because today I want to go through the ultimate guide to backup for photographers. Now that's similar to an article I wrote at Improved Photography a little bit ago, but I'm going to go approach the problem just a little bit differently, and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that article as we continue in the episode. Next to the questions about new updates to Lightroom and Photoshop and Windows and Mac being safe, which I'm really glad so many listeners look to that advice from me. I'm, I'm happy to provide that. I'm using those things anyway, and I'm trying stuff out, so you may as well let me be the uh, the early adopter, the person who's going to take all the arrows if there are any to be had or to be taken uh, because there's problems with any of those updates to any of those things and that are going to cause you problems. I'm really glad that that's something I can do for the Photo Taco listeners. This question about the backup is kind of the second most prevalent topic of questions that I get from listeners. Incidentally, if you use both Windows and Wacom tablets and you've noticed that the selected Mac mask workspace in Photoshop keeps closing out on you before you're done changing your selection, I have a bug I have entered with uh, both Adobe and Wacom on an issue that exists there. Adobe has told me they have confirmed with Wacom engineers the issue lies in the Wacom driver for Windows and that they are currently testing out a fix. So here's the deal. Everything works as it should on macOS, but in Windows, if you zoom in or out, either using the touchpad part of the Wacom tablet or the ring to the left on the tablet, the driver ends up sending an escape key code to the computer in Windows, and it closes the selected mass workspace, which you can do just by hitting the escape key yourself. You can see how that happens. And for some reason, the driver on Windows is sending that key. So I don't have an ETA on the fix. I sure wish I did, and I've asked Adobe if they could tell me or walk them. I've tried to contact both of them and say, is there any idea when you're going to do this? Because I've had this issue for several months. It's been since January 2018 where I first noticed it. And it's still a problem. I have the very latest version of Windows, very latest Photoshop, very latest Wacom drivers, and it's still an issue as I record this in May 2018. So if you've noticed that, just a a little nugget that you can get from listening to Photo Taco, that there's a a problem there. And I use Selected Masks Workspace. Oh, by the way, it's also applying to Refine Edge Tool. So either one, even if you use the, the trick to get the legacy Refine Edge Tool, it's a problem. So... If you've noticed that, it's not just you, it is a bug, and there's some people kind of working on it. (laughs) All right, so next to those kinds of technical questions, backup is the most prevalent question I get from listeners, and I totally understand why. It's because it's just not easy. Backup is hard. It's too hard. To do it right, 
It takes some investment in hardware, usually takes just a little bit of know-how and can even be take a lot of know-how. And if you've been doing photography for very long, for more than a couple years, it means a really significant investment. So to make matters worse, you really won't want to solve this problem once because making that investment as you're just getting started as a photographer, like the full-blown massive amount of data investment just doesn't make sense. We'll get to that by the end of the show. Here's what we're going to do, though. We're going to talk quickly about kind of the the first of what I call two storage walls that photographers hit. Um, kind of like a race car driver slamming into a wall. One that they just didn't expect, they didn't see, it just all of a sudden happened. And it doesn't happen just once, but it happens twice. So the first time, the first wall the photographers slam into, the first storage wall they run into, is when you fill up that hard drive on your computer. Bam! Right there in the first wall. It happens like suddenly, you didn't think about it much, you didn't realize how much space these photos are taking. Maybe you even just were shooting JPEG and you just kind of switched to RAW and didn't really see that that headed for you, that that's gonna take up so much more space on your hard drive and boom, you're right into that wall. So many listeners have contacted me in a total panic when this happens to them mainly because they're just not sure where to go with it. They're not sure how to solve the problem. And I'm hoping that this podcast episode, this photo taco episode, will be one I will refer to a lot in the future to be able to say, well, here's a, a thing you can go listen to, something that you can you can go do about it. You can learn all about kind of what your options are, where you can go, and what you can do. I mentioned that I created, I wrote an article over on improvephotography.com a couple of years ago. I think it's about three years ago, actually. It's called The Ultimate Backup Workflow for Photographers. So yeah, I'm kind of repeating just a little bit, but that article takes a little bit different slant to it and um, has some information that I'm not even going to cover in here too. So they're they're kind of different, even though I, I made the titles be very similar. Um, you're going to want to check out both. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes over to that article so that you can go and uh, read that and check it out. What a lot of photographers don't realize is not only do they have to figure out how to get more storage for their photos, which is actually pretty trivial, but the part of the wall they didn't see coming when they hit it was that they also have to figure out what they're going to do about backup. And that's kind of where that, that realization tends to set in when they hit that wall and they're like, oh, I need to add some drives and I know hard drives can fail. So if I just add one, that's not good. I could lose everything when that one drive goes bad. So do I add two drives or how do I fix this? How do I make it so that I can have a good backup solution? All right. So I shared, uh, I, I even heard from some people just this past week. It's kind of why it made me decide to do this episode yeah, today. Um, I shared this article, that article on improved photography, this just this past week here, mid-May 2018, with uh, a listener, Dewana Caldwell, one of the great listeners of the Photo Taco Podcast. And she, over in the uh, Photo Taco Podcast listener Facebook group, she kind of had a little bit of a panic, like, oh, I don't understand what to do here. I, I pointed her to that article because that's the resource I had at the time. And, and she's like, oh, that's exactly what I need. Thank you. Connor Hibbs, too, the incredible portrait photographer who co-hosts the Portrait Session podcast on the Master Photography Podcast Network with Erica Kay. He also posted over at the Improve Photography Facebook group, which we haven't renamed yet, but it's going to be named Master Photography Facebook group soon. Um, he had a very sad story over there himself this past week where he had not one, 
but two hard drives fail at the same time. He was very fortunate that he managed to kind of figure a way out of the situation, but it was a serious wake-up call for him that he's got to do a better job with backup. And that made me decide, I really want to do this uh, Photo Taco episode today because things change over time. I'm sure this won't be the last episode I will do about backup for photographers, but I want to go over it kind of in more detail today. So you'll want to check the show notes for the episode over at phototacopodcast.com for a link to the article on improved photography and links to all the other things I'm going to mention today in the episode. In short, my advice in the article was to start off small with the least amount of expense to solve the problem that you, you ran into that wall by buying a good USB hard drive. By good, I mean one that at a minimum has a USB 3.0 connection. Thunderbolt would be faster, but it's also going to be more expensive and for PC users, not an option on most PCs. There are some of the newer ones here in late 2017 into 2018 uh, do offer Thunderbolt connections, which I'm so glad to see. But uh, by and large, a a lot of PC users just don't even have that option. So a USB 3.0 drive is a really good way to address this problem even though it does uh, have some performance impacts. It's a, it's a good way to do it. So the article outlines different connection speeds. So you can kind of figure out for yourself what you want to do if you have to make that decision between USB 3.0 and something else. It gives some good information out there. So go over and read that article at improvephotography.com to be able to see kind of what the connection speeds are and, and what the differences are between them. My recommendation here in mid-May 2018 is a Western Digital My Passport USB 3.0 drive that runs about a hundred bucks. Now I don't say that because it has much better performance or reliability. It's just a good price for a decent product. I've got a couple of them. I've been very happy with them. Sure, they can be lemons. Sure, they can fail. They can dead on arrival. If you ask around to enough people, I'm sure you could even find someone who's had that specific kind of drive fail for them very early. That's just the way these things roll. They're not. They're not uh, very reliable. They. They just. There's problems with these drives. So you hope you get one that lasts for a while. You and I. My recommendation. I've said it many times on the podcast network. Three years. Plan on having a drive in service for about three years, and once three years is up, you really need to look to replace it. Even if it's not showing any signs of problems, it's just not worth having trouble. So replace it after about three years um, and hope it doesn't die before then. (laughs) That's about the largest size that Western Digital offers in that line of drives right now, so that's why I picked four terabytes. And it will be plenty of storage so that you can get off, you can peel yourself off of that storage wall that you slammed into and get back to doing photography. If you're a PC user and you don't mind getting inside the computer a bit, then I'd recommend instead using a four terabyte internal HGST drive. That's HGST. It's the brand I I recommend mostly because they've had a very, very good track record for reliability a little better than the other makers and haven't had, even more important, they haven't had any kind of outliers. Both Seagate and Western Digital over the years have had some challenges with some outliers where they've had problems and HGST just hasn't. So it's cross your fingers still. There's still hard drives. They're still going to fail. You might be one of the unlucky ones that get one that goes out early, but uh, it's the the best probability that you're going to have a good drive for, for at least those three years. Um, 
the problem is that takes a little bit more know-how and you have to want it's it's pc only the other the macs just aren't really built to to make it so that you can do this very well all right so the problem with that is that sounds all that sounds really easy right 100 bucks problem solved storage wall hit and dealt with and we're done the problem is you can't just buy one and I mentioned that a lot of photographers, they kind of realize that their photos aren't actually safe when they're only one drive. And they gotta figure out what to do. And that's where I need to introduce a concept. And many of you probably have heard of it before. It's the three, two, one backup strategy. And that's something you, you really need to follow. So three, two, one is it's just kind of a memorable way, since it's you know a very familiar pattern, three, two, one, to think about backup. It was kind of created initially by Carnegie Mellon years ago, and it's been adopted uh, pretty universally now, including by the United States Computer Emergency Readiness Team, referred to as US CERT. Um, and so they have a really good document I linked in that improved photography um, article. I linked to their PDF where they outline kind of pros and cons of different ways to solve this problem, ways to think about the three, two, one backup strategy. But kind of in general basics, it's you need to have three copies of your photos kept on two different types of media, and one of those copies has to be stored off-site. That's going to end up being kind of the kicker of things at the end of this podcast that I'll get to. So let's walk through how you can get a 3-2-1 backup strategy with external hard drives, kind of responding to that first initial storage wall that photographers hit. An unfortunate part of hitting that wall is that you're gonna have to change your workflow. So prior to slamming into that storage wall, that first storage wall, you're probably very happily putting your memory card into your computer and then letting Lightroom pull the photos off the card, which I actually don't recommend, and put them wherever it decided to put them uh, on the hard drive inside your computer. Well, the problem is you filled up that hard drive and you don't wanna do that anymore. You could potentially use a strategy where you copy the cards, the the photos from your memory card to the internal hard drive. And when you're done, then you move them from the internal hard drive over to the external hard drive. That's great. That's a good way to do it. That's actually kind of how I work, although I'm using all internal drives. But it's a little more complicated. And I, I want to make this more simple. So really what I, I'm going to recommend here is the goal would be just don't put your photos onto your main computer hard drive anymore. You need to get change your workflow now so that you are you you're going to be putting the photos onto that external drive only one of them and i'm going to talk about how to get to the other one in a moment but let's call it your primary external drive that you're going to do that i recommend that you use finder on mac or explorer on windows to do this rather than lightroom for both speed and accuracy meaning lightroom in the past has been known to lose files if it's moving them for you on the drive so i don't trust lightroom to it um i've it's probably not as much of an issue today as it was years ago but i just don't want to take the chance those these these photos are so valuable to me i don't want to risk them um so i i recommend finder or explorer and even if you like have to move them from the internal drive that you filled up to that external drive because you ran out of space, I recommend using Finder on Mac or Explorer on Windows to do that too. And then launch Lightroom after you've done that and then go tell Lightroom where the new files are. 
Um, so, so either way, you kind of need to change your workflow because you're no longer going to be able to just import them to your internal hard drive. You're going to have to make sure that Lightroom is putting those, if you're using Lightroom to put the files uh, from the memory card to the drive, that it's put up going to the external drive or make sure that you're doing it on Finder, on Mac, or Explorer, and Windows. Um, that also may make it so that you realize you've done a terrible job of organizing your photos that uh, especially most people who have hit this wall for the first time they are towards the beginning part of their photography journey and not ever considered really how to organize their photos and i'm not going to go through it on this show it's already going to be long enough but if you want to go and get some advice on that, I have another photo taco episode I did with the Lightroom Queen called Lightroom Organization. So just search Google search photo taco Lightroom Organization and a link will come up in Google and you'll be able to, to go and listen to that podcast where we talk all about how to organize your Lightroom catalog and your photos. Once the photos have been moved to your external drive, you have them in one place that's safe for now right? You, you can trust, you hope you can trust this brand new external drive that's hopefully going to go for about the next three years and should be okay. The next thing to do though, because we want to do our three, two, one backup solution, you only have the photo in one cop, only one copy of the photo at this point. You, you kind of have your memory card still, which if you can keep that around for a while and not have to reuse it, that's great. That's in second place, but it's not going to be a long-term solution probably. So that's why we need the second external hard drive and why you need to be able to get your photos from the primary drive over to this secondary drive so that now you will end up with two copies of the photo. All right. We still haven't made it to three, and we still don't have two different media types, and we still don't have one off-site, so we haven't really met any of the three, two, one requirements yet. But let's talk about how it is you're gonna get the photos copied between those two drives. You could do it manually. That's a, that's a very reasonable approach, but I know there's no way I could do that. I'm not nearly disciplined enough to remember every time I bring photos from my memory card over to the drive that I also need to copy it over to the secondary drive. It's just going to take more time and I'm so anxious to get going on processing the photos, taking a look at them. I know myself. I know I'm not going to do that. And I'd be willing to bet that most of you listening, if you thought about it, are going to say, yeah, there's no way I'm going to do that either. I'm not going to manually copy that over. So that means we need to come up with an automatic solution that's going to copy it from the primary external drive to the secondary external drive. There's a number of solutions to do this for both Mac and PC. I personally am using a free tool from Microsoft called SyncToy, S-Y-N-C, SyncToy, all one word. Uh, free tool comes, uh, you, I think you do have to download it now, but it used to come with Windows, but now I think you have to go get it separately. Fabulous tool, works really well. Pretty simple to configure. The only challenging part is you have to go into task scheduler and set up a task to run it automatically. It won't by itself automatically start up and go synchronize it, but it's pretty easy to set it up so that photos from one drive get automatically copied over to the other drive um, and then when you set up task scheduler, you can make it happen every night. I do it every night at 11 p.m. Mac has a free tool called Automator. That's kind of a similar sort of thing. It takes a little bit of know-how to, to figure out how to set it up, but it comes with Mac OS built right in. And uh, you, you, 
if you have a little bit of technical knowledge, you can probably figure it out. Lots of commercial applications available on both Mac and Windows to help here too, though I haven't personally used any of them. So I, I really can't provide a good recommendation here. If you have a good recommendation, I, I know I've seen in the Facebook groups, uh, Super Duper for Mac's been recommended. Uh, I think some PC apps too, but I can't remember what they are right now. So if you've got a suggestion, if, you, if there's something you've found very useful, go over to the Photo Taco podcast listener group on Facebook and offer that up. Find uh, I'll, I'll put a, a link in the Facebook forum, in that Facebook group, and I'd love to have you comment and say, hey, here's the software I've found very helpful. And uh, it's, it's a good way to, to have the community help each other with those kinds of things. The whole idea, though, is you somehow want to automate this. You want to have things copied automatically for you from the primary drive to the secondary drive, at least nightly, I'd say, if not more often. I've decided nightly is good for me. I'm willing to take the risk. I mean, especially because I'm going to have memory cards with the photos on them at least for that next 24 hours. So if something were to go so wrong and I lose that primary drive I copied them to, I still have them on the memory cards at least for that 24 hours. And then by that night, it's copied them all over to the secondary drive and I'm all good. I have it. I have successfully made sure I have the photos in I have two copies of the photos now. All right, so with the photos automatically being copied from the primary to the secondary drive, now we need to talk about how do we get the third copy and how are we gonna get it across? It needs to be another medium because we have the copies so far are all on the same media type, they're hard drives, and we need to also solve it so that it's got an offsite copy. Well, that means we probably need to solve this. We can hit all three things with one solution. That's kind of the beautiful part about this first storage wall that photographers hit is there's a very reasonable solution here when you're into the early stages, the early storage needs, when you've only outgrown the one internal drive on your computer and you're, you're getting up to maybe four, six, or eight terabytes, then you have a reasonable solution, and that is cloud storage. Now, I'm personally using Backblaze, and I can very highly recommend the service for this. You get unlimited backups for Backblaze. There's no limits on how, how much the file size can be, as long as it is a computer in, or a drive inside your computer or directly attached to your computer, like a USB drive or even a Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt drive, uh, you can back up every bit of the data that's on those drives. Um, it costs $5 a month or $50 a year. You get a little bit of savings if you do it a year, or if you wanna do two years, get even a little tiny bit more savings of $95 for two years. Backblaze is not sponsoring this episode, so this is not an ad, and I pay for the service myself. They haven't provided to it for me for free, so this is not a paid ad. It's just a product that works really well for me. Not that there can't be issues, because they can't. There can be. Every time I've been asked by listeners which cloud backup solution I recommend, I always hear from one or two other listeners who have had a negative experience with Backblaze. So it's possible with anything, like any technology, things can go wrong. And when you have enough people using the product, some certainly will. So it's not going to be guaranteed foolproof. You will, I, you will not have an issue, but I've had a very good experience with Backblaze. And it's worth a try. It's I, I really recommend you go and check it out. 
This is why cloud backup alone is not sufficient though. We have the potential for problems. You can't just think, well, I have one I'm gonna have one copy of the photo on my local drive and Backblaze or whatever client or service you're gonna use almost immediately sees that file and copies it up in the cloud and that's good enough. Because the cloud sync can break, your internet could be down, there's, there's lots of things that can go wrong here. And that's why the 321 backup strategy is so important, is you have lots of fail safes. There's, you can have lots of problems impact your backup solution and not lose your photos. It's very, it's called fault tolerant. And that's a super important thing to me. I don't wanna lose my photos because something just went sideways and what was working great for a long time suddenly didn't, and now I'm out of problem. I mean, you have Connor, for example, he had two drives fail on him in a week, and uh, or on the same day, and that caused a massive problem for him that he was really fortunate to get out of. But that, the, the three, two, one backup strategy is when you really, really need to think about implementing, especially if you're only at that first storage wall phase. I did a photo taco episode with the head of marketing over at Backblaze to talk about challenges photographers face with cloud backups and how it is the company plans to stay alive when so many of their competitors have failed. So you can check out that episode by searching photo taco cloud backup, or you will find the link in the show notes over at phototacopodcast.com. There are other solutions many listeners have told me about that I've tried. They have Amazon Prime, includes uh, unlimited photo storage, including most kinds of raw files that don't count against any kind of storage requirements. And there's a client that will watch folders and it'll automatically sync them to the cloud. It's a pretty decent solution. I still am using Backblaze, even though I'm also using Amazon Prime. And uh, so I'm, I'm choosing actually to use Prime to back up my exported photos. Um, especially because it was a good way to try to get them to sync to my phone so I could share them on Instagram and Twitter, mainly Instagram. Uh, Google offers something similar. Problem is, I, to my knowledge, I don't think raw files are included in the unlimited photo storage. So I think that counts against your storage. So you'd be paying for that and it's gonna be more expensive than the Backblaze solution. I've also found early on that the Google Sync client was flaky until it just recently, uh, within the last couple of months here in early 2018, they redesigned the Google Sync client and it wor it's working much better now. My experience has been a lot better. You have other solutions too, like Dropbox, for example. That's a common solution I've heard talked about and boy, it's great. It's a really, really good solution, but it's also very expensive in comparison. They're, they're trying to solve the problem differently. Um, Backblaze isn't attempting to make your files available to you one file at a time um, easily and synchronizing between multiple computers. It's just taking the files and putting them up in a cold storage so that if the worst happens on your local copy, you can get a download. So they're, they're trying to solve problems differently. And Dropbox is offering a service that's priced accordingly because it's trying to do, it's doing things differently. You have a massive advantage in that your photos are gonna be available to you anywhere in the world at any time. And you can even use it to sync like your entire Lightroom catalog, not only your photos, but your catalog and then kind of have all of Lightroom in your catalog available to you across multiple computers. There are some caveats there. It's more expensive for one, but you also have to be super careful that you don't run Lightroom and open your catalog across two different machines and work on, the, work on them at the same time. It's a good way to, to uh, 
have a problem with your catalog file and corrupt it. Um, but it's possible, and I should probably do a photo talk episode on how to set that up. Also, you need to be aware that most ISPs will throttle your connection to any backup provider. It doesn't really matter which one, if it's Backblaze, Amazon Drive, Google Drive, Dropbox, whatever solution you, you go to use. Most of the ISPs recognize that that traffic is backup traffic, and it doesn't need the priority that a lot of other traffic needs, and it slows it down on purpose. If they're managing their network, they're trying to make it so that customers have a good experience with other things like voice or uh, Netflix or think services that are sensitive to speed, and they can slow that down, and it's still going to function. It's just going to be slow. So they, they do that on purpose. Um, for me, for example, the initial sync of my photos uh, it was about three terabytes that I needed to sync at the time I signed up with Backblaze uh, a couple of years back. And the first two days of syncing, it looked like it was going to be done. All three terabytes are going to be backed up in less than a month. It was like two and a half, three weeks, something like that. But after those first couple of days, my ISP, which is Comcast, they throttled the connection and it ended up taking eight months for me to sync three terabytes of data. It had nothing to do with Backblaze. So I want to make that clear. They're, they're the cloud provider. Those first two days were blazing fast. It's just Comcast recognized that I was doing a big, big backup and they throttled my connection to Backblaze. So since that time, Comcast has also changed policy in my area here in Utah. We now have bandwidth caps that are lovely. So one terabyte a month of bandwidth caps. And if I use any more than that, I'm going to get charged more than my monthly bill already. So you're going to want to find out with your ISP if they have any caps like that and what the rules are. And you probably should plan on with most uh, ISPs, you're, you're going to be throttled. Your backup is going to take some time to get out there to the cloud if it's of any size, if it's, if it's relatively big. And if you don't run into that, count yourself extremely lucky. All right. So now let's, let's say you have all that set up. We have two external drives. They're, they're copying the files between each other automatically every night. You have a cloud service that you've set up so that it's also in real time sending all of those photos from your primary drive up into the cloud and you're good. You now have a solution. You have three copies of your photos on two different mediums. One's local and one's cloud. And because it's cloud, that also means it counts as the off-site solution. So three, two, one is all met and you're in a pretty good spot. You have four terabytes of data to deal with and, and that's pretty good. All right. Whew. Now, this wouldn't be an ultimate guide though if we didn't go past that, which is what I'm going to do after thanking the sponsor for this episode, which is WeTransfer. So 40 million people use WeTransfer to send and receive files every month. And since day one, they've devoted 30% of their ad space to showcasing creative people from around the world, from musicians to photographers, to illustrators, to robotic textile creators, to podcasters like us. So in that spirit, we're skipping the rest of the 60-second ad and getting right back to the podcast. WeTransfer.com. You make WeTransfer. I know this episode is long already, but I promised the ultimate guide, and so I've got to deliver here. We're going to have to go further. we got to go past that first storage wall, and we got to talk about the second wall that photographers hit. The second storage wall, probably a little more painful in the long run. This one doesn't come out of nowhere. 
as much as the first one does. You're more prepared for it. You know it's coming. You you know after smacking into that first wall, there's going to be another wall. I mean, we just talked about a four terabyte limit, right? We we've solved it. We had two external drives and cloud storage, and and now we have four terabytes of very redundant backed up storage. Problem is, four terabytes isn't going to last forever. And it depends on how many photos you keep and what your workflow is. But if you keep everything you shoot, it's not going to take very long before that four terabytes is going to be a little confining. And yeah, you can go try to find some stuff that you can delete. Maybe you can go delete some really old stuff. You could replace the four terabyte drives with some eight terabyte drives that are available. And there's even some 12 terabyte drives. That'll kick the can down the road a little further be okay. Now that's a a perfectly acceptable solution, but eventually you're going to run out of that too. And you could rotate through multiple drives, but I very much warn against that. It's really quick. It it becomes so difficult so fast to manage your catalog and your photos when you start down the road of four or six or eight or more drives. You got to have them in pairs because we need to be able to copy the data between the two and sync them up. And if you have to swap them out, you got to remember to swap both. And if you need a specific photo from a specific shoot and you can't remember which drive you put it on, you might have four or six or eight drives to go through. And it becomes super messy, super fast. That's not the way to solve the problem. Bigger drive, a pretty acceptable way, but it's not going to long term solve the problem. So how do you solve the problem? How do you what's a long term way to fix it? There's two ways that you can kind of solve this problem. One's called Direct Attached Storage, or DAS. Most people kind of generically refer to it as Drobo. Um, And it's, it's connecting a storage array with multiple drives inside it, like a Drobo or a G Technology or a Lacy. Lacy. Lacy is how you pronounce it, I think. French. I don't, I don't speak French. Um, the point is they, they connect through USB or Thunderbolt and they're good solutions. The other option is something called network attached storage or NAS. So you have DAS direct and network NAS uh, network attached. And this is kind of the same thing. It's you're connecting a storage array with multiple drives inside it to your computer through a network connection. My recommendation there is Synology. I like G Drive or, or Lacey. I prefer not the Drobo, but it's it's a decent solution. I can't badmouth it much. It's It's got a very good, a pretty good solution. Um, some ph- photographers have run it. I mean, Jim Harmer on Improved Photography um, did mention that he gave up on Drobo and he went to Lacey. So um, I just haven't used any of those products myself. So I, I can't really recommend them. And actually, I haven't used any NAS solution because I have kicked the can down the road on this thus far, which I'll get to in a little bit. All right, so I do recommend Synology. I have a lot of friend, a lot of technical friends who are not photographers who love Synology NAS systems and uh, super good quality stuff. There's even some DIY solutions. So there's not just Synology. There's other makers of NAS devices, but there's a there's even a DIY op, DIY option in something called FreeNAS where you can get a computer. It have could be like a really cheap desktop computer. You can put a bunch of drives inside of it and you can run an operating system called FreeNAS to provide some network storage. And some people have done really well with that too. So if that's uh, something that you're into, that'd be a good way to go. All right. 
But let's talk about kind of the investment costs and what this means to use these solutions and how it's different from the external drive solution. So we'll use Drobo as the DAS solution since it's so common for it. And I'll use Synology as the example for NAS. So starting off with Drobo then, the 5C, the Drobo 5C product offers a USB-C connection. It's not the fastest product, but it's gonna be applicable to both Mac and PC. So I decided to use that as the example. It offers USB 3.0 as the connection. And uh, so what you do is you connect, the, it's an enclosure, the 5C is an enclosure, and with no drives inside it, it's capable of having five drives in it, but with none in it, just the enclosure, just the storage array with the USB port that you can connect, costs $344. So right off the bat, you're a little bit more than the external drives were in the, in the first storage wall solution. Uh, so then you have five drives that you need to buy. So that's, again, 344 with no drives. You got to put five in there. And uh, I'd say to make it worth your while to get some storage that's actually bigger than you can kick the can kind of stuff, you're going to want six terabyte drives. You might need to go eight in order to really make it useful. But in our example here, I'm going to go six. Six terabyte drives. If you put six ter or five six terabyte drives in there. It's kind of a confusing way to say it, but five of those six terabyte drives in there, you'll get about 20 gigabytes of usable storage. And you might think, wait, 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 your math is wrong here, Jeff. <laughs> five times six is 30, not 20. <laughs> but uh, I'll go over in a second why it is that's the case. Anyway, I recommend HGST drives here again, HGST. Uh, even though drives from Seagate West are likely going to be just fine, again, there's a, a little bit of a reliability advantage on HGST drives. It's not massive, so if price is the biggest consideration, you know, find whatever's the least expensive at the time you're going to look, and, and they'll be fine. Uh, just the same kind of recommendation, replace them after three years of use. Some will recommend, a lot of people, when they talk about NAS or DAS systems, they're going to recommend that you get drives that are made for NAS. So even if it's DAS, even if it's direct attached, because it is a storage array, then you know a lot of people are gonna recommend a NAS system. And they're built differently, the drives are built to work a little differently, has to do with how they kind of power up and down. Um, and that's probably the safest route. If you want to have the, the very safest options, it's, it might be worth spending, it is a little bit more money to buy a NAS drive instead of a kind of more normal rated drive. However, I have seen evidence published by some independent testing that showed there really wasn't a significant difference between NAS and non-NAS drives. So for me personally, I am going to opt for non-NAS drives. I'm gonna save the money because I've seen this data that suggests it really isn't that big of a difference. The thing I do want to say you should avoid though is drives labeled as being green drives. And that's because they most often are trying to save energy. And that means they power down more frequently than other drives do. They're kind of deliberately built that way. And that's not good for your storage array. So avoid the green drives. You may not, it's not guaranteed you're gonna have trouble if you put a green drive in there. So if you have one, I don't think it's worth ripping it out and, and uh, you know overreacting. But if you're doing this for the first time, it's worth it to not go with a green drive and get something else, something that's not labeled as green. We're trying to be power efficient. All right, so continuing with our costs, I'm gonna assume six or five 
six terabyte HGST drives, non-NAS, are about $135 a piece as I record this in May 2018. So you could kick the can down the road and only put two or three of those in the Drobo, but let's talk about a more complete solution. Like I said, something that's gonna have a little bit last, more lasting with uh, 20 terabytes of total storage. So if you put five of those in at $135 each, comes to a total of 675, and if you add that to the cost of the Drobo itself, you end up at about $1,020, a little over a thousand bucks. Not the couple of hundred dollars it took to kind of recover from that first storage wall. This is gonna take some investment. It's gonna take some money to do more than kick the can down the road for a little bit. So now the reason you only get 20 terabytes, not 30 when you have five, six terabyte drives. The five drives in the device, um, when, when the device goes to write files, it writes it differently than if you had a single drive that was in there. So to your computer, it looks like it's all one, it's just one drive. But when you write a file to it, what the drive is doing, what the Drobo is doing, is it's taking a, a, a really cool approach to writing that file out to the disks. And it's gonna actually write it across multiple of those disks. Not completely, not like it was with the external drives where we were manually, well, we set up something to automatically do it, but it was copying the full file from one drive to the other. And that means even though we had actually eight terabytes of drive space, because we had two four terabyte drives, with the way we set it up, we actually allocated 50% of the drive space purely to backup. We, we wanted to have the file, the photo, in two separate, like two copies of the photo. And so we, were, we had one on the primary and one on the secondary. You gave up 50% of your storage capacity to having it uh, a redundant storage to make up your backup solution. And that's being approached in a little bit smarter way, but you still have some storage that you have to give up in order to get that kind of redundancy and make it so that you can have a hard drive fail and not lose everything. So that's there's ways to configure Drobo or NAS so that it's not redundant at all and you get the full storage. There's ways to make it so that it's even more redundant. You can even lose up to two drives in the array and not not lose any data. But kind of the default configuration and one that's pretty good that I do recommend would be the, the kind of the default system, you're gonna give up 33% of your storage capacity in order to have it so that one of the drives in the storage array can fail, completely die, and you won't lose any data. So that's pretty cool that it's only 33% instead of 50%, but that's kind of roughly the rule of thumb you should use, is 33% of the, the storage is gonna be dedicated to the redundancy of the system and make it so that you won't lose it if, <clears throat> if you lose one drive. It's going to recover from a single drive fail. And if you have two drives fail and it's only 33% of the storage is, is dedicated to the redundancy, now you're toast and you're going to lose everything, all of the data. So that's kind of a risky thing. Um, now let's go to the NAS side. We talked about the cost of the dash, about a thousand bucks, a little over a thousand dollars. NAS, it's pretty similar approach. The biggest difference really is the way it's connected. It's connected through a network connection instead of a USB or Thunderbolt connection directly to your computer. 
Um, you can connect to it via Wi-Fi even, but you really are not going to want to do that because it's really, really slow over a Wi-Fi connection. So you're going to want a wired connection. There's even ways that are really, really technical and very expensive equipment to make it so that the network connection can work really, really fast and get competitive with the speed you can get with USB or even Thunderbolt. But we're going to ignore that. That's not what this episode's about. A Synology Disk Station DS1517 which is super easy to say, can also have five hard drives and it comes in at about 550. So it's a little bit more expensive than the drive from, um, from Drobo, but uh, it, it's, it's not too much more. The disc costs about the same at $675. So you're looking at $1,225 in total for the NAS solution. Given up roughly the same amount of data in NAS to do provide that redundancy again to about 33%. And so you get about the same storage. Um, so you might wonder, okay, so wait, you're getting with the NAS solution, you're you're it's more expensive, and you are getting slower on the connection. Why would anybody do a NAS instead of a DAS? Why would they do that? And the answer is complicated. I'm not going to go through all the details here because that's a whole different discussion. The short answer is NAS can do a bit more than Drobo can or a DAS can. Uh, for example, you can connect multiple computers to it at the same time. So it's something that's different and it's more valuable. Uh, and, and that's just how kind of it costs. So the point is, though, whether NAS or DAS, you can kind of pick. You're going to have to, to work out kind of what the speed requirements are, what your money is, what other features you're looking for. You're going to have to decide for yourself which one of those solutions, either one of them is a pretty good way to not kick the can down the road and solve the second storage wall that photographers hit. But we haven't talked about the 3 two, one backup strategy related to arrays yet, storage arrays. Yes, a storage array solution provides redundancy. In the example, I said 33% is, is uh, lost to providing that redundancy so we can have one drive fail and not lose all of our data. But we don't truly have two copies of the photos in the drives. We have, we're gonna make sure that the photo is across multiple drives enough that when you lose one, you don't automatically lose all of the photo, but it's not truly in two places. So we're not truly following the three, two, one strategy at all with a storage array. It's not providing any of it. It's only one copy of the photo in the truest sense of the whole strategy. And when we're talking about this, that's what the strategy is all about, is trying to have enough fail safes, enough backup that things can go really, really wrong and you're still covered. And that's just not quite the case with the storage array. So really to solve it, to really do it so that you were providing in two of your copies locally, you need a second storage array. That's if you're really gonna meet the full three, two, one backup strategy, you're gonna have to have a second storage array at twice the cost, of course. Ouch, 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 that's really painful. <laughs> so you're gonna have to make a decision for yourself. Are you comfortable with the fact that you have you do have protection from a single uh, drive failure and you're not going to lose everything? I mean, after all, you can't have two fail at once, right, Connor? <laughs> you can. You're going to have to decide for yourself, though. Is it worth the expense 
and the the protection you get by having a second storage array or are you going to be okay with the risk knowing if you have more than one drive fail in it you're going to lose everything and that's going to be bad bad you're going to lose like not just the photos that were on that disk you're going to lose every photo on all of the disks and that's why you really can't consider it to be more than it's one copy. That's that's all there is is one copy of those photos because you're going to lose all of them if you lose two drives. All right. So like I said earlier, I haven't gone here myself in solving this problem. I currently am using two six terabyte drives inside my computer as I record this in May 2018. So I kicked the can down the road. And it's because that $1,000 investment, or if you're going to really solve it, the $2,000 investment to get two storage arrays, that's really hard for me as a hobbyist photographer to swallow. And if I'm going to do it, I actually want to invest in something that's even bigger than a five-bay storage array. I want one that's going to have eight bays. I want to get one something that's going to going to make it so that I kick the can way further down the road and, and have something that's going to offer a lot more flexibility and solutions. So it's going to be extremely expensive and someday I will go there. It's just not today, <laughs> not yet. All right. So whether you decide single storage arrays enough for you or you're going to do two, that still kind of leaves us at you only have at most, if you have the two storage arrays, you have two copies but we haven't got three copies yet. We don't have it on two different mediums and we don't have it one offsite. So now this is where we have our problem. And I mentioned it at the top of the show, there's not a very practical solution to this problem. Here we are today, 2018. I am not aware of a really good solution so that you can just add cloud to the mix and solve the problem. You can actually set up Backblaze to back up either solution. NAS or DAS. Although with NAS, you're going to have to change, get a different license. You're going to have to get Backblaze B2 licensing, which for 20 terabytes of backup, if you were to fill the entire array and you have to back up all 20 terabytes, it's going to be about $100 a month for that backup. Ouch, again. Oh, this is expensive when you're getting into this size of data. Then there's the consideration of how much your ISP is going to hate you if you have to sync 20 terabytes of data or how long it's going to sync it. Now, hopefully you're kind of growing more organically. You've got solutions in place. Hopefully you kind of started your cloud backup strategy when you were back at the first storage wall and you're incrementally adding it slowly enough that you're going to be okay with your ISP. But if you had to suddenly go do it, or if you're, uh, if you're adding video, if you're a video producer, uh, producing video and, and you're going to add, man, 20 terabytes is not a ton of storage for video. And if you're adding it very, very quickly, at least here in the United States, there just aren't many ISPs or many places where you can get enough speed and standard bandwidth caps to really make cloud backup a possibility. So what's a photographer to do? If you aren't using all 20 terabytes of the data, like I said, you, you can do Backblaze still, especially with Drobo uh, where it's, you, you can actually still have DAS count as an external drive and you can stick with the personal licensing with this, just the $5 a month. The problem is I reached out to Backblaze and they said, yes, technically that's true. There's nothing in the software or in the licensing model today that restricts you from setting it up that way. But boy, they're not going to like it. And, and if enough people do it, they're probably going to have to change that. So 
I don't know how long term that kind of a strategy is for NAS. Obviously, they've already that is clear cut. The software already recognizes when something's a NAS, and it will not back up the NAS. The personal licensing won't. You have to get that Backblaze B2. All right. So, other than that, I just really don't know of any good options to get offsite backup when you have data this large. I've heard of solutions where people put another storage array at a friend's or a relative's house, then they use some concoction of software. <laughs> There's not really uh, great commercial solutions for this, but some kind of setup where they synchronize between the two over the internet. But that really only solves the licensing cost problem of something like Backblaze B2. It doesn't really solve your ISP problem where they're not gonna like you syncing that much data. And, and it's, it's still gonna take a long time in most places in the United States. I just am not aware of any way to do it. The other solution I've uh, I've heard people say is, all right, I got a second array and not, not so I can keep it up at my house and have two copies at my house, but I'm going to manually copy stuff or manually sync stuff to that second array every month or every quarter. And then I take that array, the second array, and I put it at my neighbor's house or my friend's house or my family's house. And, uh, and then it's offsite. And yeah, we're not really doing the full three, two, one still because I only have one array at my house, but at least I have another copy offsite. I just, uh, the struggle I had there is those same people when I dig in and say, okay, so how consistently are you doing that? They're not, they're not consistently doing it. They don't think about it very often. And then they'll think oh, it's been six months or man, I think it's been a year, maybe two years since I've actually done that. I better do it again. And that's just too much time to go in between it and, and you're gonna lose stuff if you have a massive failure. So it's a challenge and I just don't have a great solution here in 2018 when you're talking about 20 plus terabytes of data. The cost of a true three, two, one backup for that size of data, just not very practical for a photographer, for an individual person to kind of take on the, ex the expense that it is to really get three, two, one backup. That's, it's just probably not worth it, actually. It's, it, it's a real issue. If any of you out there have a better solution, I'd love to know. You can let me know over at Photo Taco Podcast Listeners Facebook group, and I'd love to hear what you have to say. Maybe there's something new that I've never heard of, uh, a good solution. I'd love to know if there's a reasonably priced solution that a single photographer is going to be willing to have. And it doesn't take like a computer science degree to set it up because <laughs> there's, there's could be some, all you have to do is, and if that's how it starts out, that's a, a very good sign that this is too hard and it's going to be uh, brittle and it's going to be so hard to set up that it's not practical. So if you have a solution that isn't, doesn't have those two problems, I'd love to know. You can let me know in the Facebook group. I'd love to hear it. All right, that's it for this episode. I know it was a long one. Hopefully it was good. Hopefully you got something out of it and I hope you enjoyed it. If you can find, you can find everything Photo Taco related at the new home for the podcast over at phototacopodcast.com. There's searchable show notes over there. There's a link to the Photo Taco listeners Facebook group and a few other goodies that I'm working on that are only gonna be available to the visitors of the website. And don't forget the contest that's gonna run from this episode through July um, the information about how to enter is at phototacopodcast.com slash contest. Um, you can drop me an email at phototacopodcast at gmail.com. And there's no question too basic or too complicated for the show. If I don't know the answer to the question, and I frequently don't, 
I will bring an expert guest onto the show and we will walk through it. We will make sure to go through in detail to cover that topic. Photo Taco is part of the new Master Photography Podcast Network over, um, and you can find everything about Master Photography Podcast at masterphotographypodcast.com. Together, the hosts of the Master Photography Podcast Network, we want to help you to master your photography. Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where permission is reserved. Olay!